Hey, fellas, real talk time. When is the last time you made an appointment with a doctor when you were not feeling sick or were injured? Yeah, I thought so. Let's talk about men's health, shall we? This is Memorial Health Radio with Memorial Health System Ohio. I'm your host, Evo Terra. Today I'm joined by Dr. Carson Wong, a urologist with Memorial Health System, to talk about men's health. Dr. Wong, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Well, you're welcome. And listen, I think this is probably a question that we should leave to public health officials or psychologists or maybe even philosophers. But why, in your opinion, don't more men see their doctors on a regular basis? Well, that is an age-old question. Traditionally, women have been much better than our male counterparts at preventative health care and seeking healthcare when there are issues of concern. Whether it's the traditional, I can tough it out mentality, mm-hmm. or the machismo that prevents one from seeking help, all these factors can come into play for men to be hesitant to seek medical advice. That has changed in recent years, fortunately. There's been a huge impetus in the media for men's health issues advertised by celebrities, There are men's health magazines that have been introduced, and the fact that you and I are sitting here having this conversation on a podcast on this very topic suggests that men are becoming more receptive to seeking health care. That is a relative statement in that (laughs) there's still a significant proportion who tend to shy away from doing what they should be doing. Yeah, I'll agree with that statement. I'm just thinking of my father and stepfather right now who... They will go to the doctor, but, you know, after they've fallen off a grain silo or something else along those <laughs> those lines that have run up there. And it's great to hear from a medical professional that you're also seeing a trend that men are now seeking out help before something gets too crazy. So let's narrow the focus a little bit. I mean, men's health is a pretty broad topic. What are you seeing most of the time now when men are coming to see you? What are the issues that they're concerned about? Well, as we men have more birthdays, the one organ that tends to become more of a problem is something called the prostate. And that is a walnut-shaped organ that's located just outside the bladder in the urinary tract. And it really has one sole function for a man, and that's for procreation. Mm. Beyond that, it really doesn't have much to offer. (laughs) However, as we men have more birthdays, our prostates can give us problems in that it tends to enlarge at different rates. With that enlargement can give rise to what I call quality of life issues. That is symptoms as far as difficulty with urination, a weak stream, peeing frequently, having an urge to pee or getting up at night to go pee or not even emptying your bladder after avoiding. So these are what I call quality of life issues, which typically should prompt someone to seek attention. You want to address it when it is a quality of life issue so that uh, it doesn't become what I call a medical issue. And by that, I mean those that get into difficulty with blood in the urine, recurrent urinary tract infections, or the most extreme is you get into a situation where you are unable to pee when you want to. That requires an emergency room visit, in which case a catheter of some sort will need to be inserted into your bladder to drain the bladder to give you some relief. And that's definitely something that gives a lot of men pause thinking about the process that you just underlined there. But there's something I want to underscore because I've been in this 
position myself. I didn't have, there's no history of prostate cancer in my family. It must be because we all die too quickly. Who knows what the case is, but there's not really been a prostate issue that was brought up with my father or my uncles or anyone like that. But when those symptoms began happening to me, my thought was, well, it's nothing because I don't have a history of prostate cancer. Luckily, I actually went to go see them and they ran some blood work and they said, oh, look, you actually have BPH and the rest of that. So I guess if I have a message to the listening audience, just because it's not a major issue that you're facing, those challenges are something that would, if that prompts you to have some issues, it's definitely worth seeing a doctor about that. Right. The point I was trying to make was that you want to address it when the symptoms are mild yeah. because you want to prevent it from progressing into either more serious symptoms or more serious medical problems. On the flip side, you may not have symptoms but you mentioned the C word or cancer and you mentioned BPH. So the symptoms that we've talked about are typically due to, as you call BPH, which stands for benign prostatic hyperplasia, which is a non-cancerous enlargement of the prostate. However, there is also something called prostate cancer, which you have highlighted. And it's important to differentiate between the two because obviously treatment options and longevity can be affected based on which diagnosis that very well may be. Typically, the only way that one can diagnose prostate cancer is early screening. And it's generally recommended that for men at the age of 50, in the absence of symptoms, that screening should be undertaken in terms of two components. One is a digital rectal examination, and two is a blood test called a serum prostate-specific antigen, or PSA level. That is something that should be performed annually on patients who have no symptoms. If you have symptoms, like the ones that we outlined earlier, then definitely, regardless of the age, with those symptoms, you will undergo this evaluation. The only caveat is that for patients who have A, a family history of prostate cancer, or B, who are of African-American descent, those individuals have a higher risk than the general population of developing prostate cancer, and as such, should undergo screening starting at the age of 40 instead of 50. And as someone who has been through those screening processes, let me say that the mental picture you have in your mind, listener, of how bad they can be, it's not that bad. It's really not. I mean, honestly, it's a straightforward thing. The poke in the arm to get your blood drawn or get my blood drawn is more protracted and drawn out and painful than the digital rectal exam. It's quick, it's fast, and it's something that, you know, I keep doing because I need to do this. And I think, as you're mentioning right here, all men of a certain age likely need to have this done just to make sure and screen out any potential problems. Correct. So we're talking a lot about the prostate here with men's health because it is a common issue. What else would a regular visit to a doctor, whether it be a urologist, a primary care physician, what else should we be thinking about as we men have more birthdays on the calendar? Well, that is obviously the biggest one because it has the biggest potential impact right. on both one's quality of life in the case of BPH or longevity when it comes to prostate cancer. Absolutely. Other issues that affect aging men are erectile dysfunction, which has been widely discussed and promoted one way or the other with the advent of the blue pill. And then the most recent buzzword is something called low T or a low testosterone. And that is something that, as you say, as we have more birthdays, that can effectively become an issue that affects one's energy level and other aspects of one's life. Is it just energy? I mean, you said other aspects of life, so I know the answer is no, but 
the reason I ask my question this way is I've had several friends around my age. We're getting older. We're sharing ideas of how we feel and whatever else. And I know quite a few of them have had low testosterone levels. And every time I mention them, I'm feeling tired. You should go get on testosterone. Um, but, but so far, it's not the case. My blood work says that I'm fine. But I am curious, beyond things like fatigue, what's wrong with having low testosterone? And isn't that natural for your testosterone levels to drop as you age? Well, I guess the analogy would be the change of life that women undergo, right? That's well known. That's well discussed. And again, that's again, due to the fact that women are better at talking about their own health than we men have been. Right. So it will affect not only energy, but it will also affect your erectile function if your testosterone levels are low, oh. muscle mass, bone health. I mean, these are all things that potentially can have downline effects and is something that is absolutely treatable. There are different ways to replenish that. And again, you're right. Tiredness or fatigue does not necessarily mean your testosterone levels are low and you, know, you didn't sleep well because you had a couple of late nights. <laughs> that does not translate to a low testosterone. But this is talking about over time, not getting any relief from sleeping per se necessarily that you would normally would and that sort of thing. It is not unreasonable for those who have erectile dysfunction to check their serum testosterone. That is that typically whether one chooses to do it initially or try to give them something orally to see if it'll resolve the symptom first. And if it doesn't, then you kind of say, hmm, maybe there are other things that we need to look for. So it's not always a cut and dry, gee, that's the first thing that you check. But at the same time, these are issues that are evolving. I want to mention one more thing, which I think has been more recent as far as the next thing to talk about is Peyronie's disease mm -hmm. or curvature of the penis. I have seen advertisements regarding that on primetime, which is something kind of unusual now. We see a lot of national marketing campaigns which are condition-oriented, typically put on there by a vendor of a product, whether it's pharmaceutical or surgically-related product, to the advertising to the consumer, which is the patient themselves. Right, right. I would love to have a forever conversation about Peyronie's disease. It's something I only learned of in the last few years of my life, and it's a fascinating, as you say, the advertising itself is fascinating, but I would love to get into a longer conversation at a future date with you on how we treat Peyronie's disease. And I know the answer to that question is there's lots of ways that we can treat Peyronie's disease. Is there anything you want to highlight real quickly? I mean, are we talking surgery always, or can there be something done with a pill? Yeah, I mean, there are something as simple as topical medications that you can put on. And again, Peyronie's disease is something that can be categorized as far as something that's acute, meaning the short term, or chronic, meaning over the long term. And it has implications as far as when exactly or how far along the spectrum one is mm. with the disease process. If it's in the acute phase, there tends to be more susceptible to certain treatments and potentially can be reversible, whereas in the chronic stage, and things have been formalized, for lack of a better word, then the ability for some of the less invasive treatment options to have success becomes somewhat diminished. So options can be as simple as a medication that you can put on topically. There are oral medications to simple, I say, minimally invasive surgical procedures to something slightly more aggressive as far as requiring excision of some scar and potentially putting a graft to fill that void to putting in the inflatable penile implant, mm. which is a foreign body. So there is a spectrum of treatment options. And again, it depends on how the degree of severity, the direction of the severity, and also whether or not you're in the early stages or the latter stages. 
So we've covered three different primary things on this conversation. We started talking about prostate issues. We talked about erectile dysfunction. We're talking, and now we're talking about Peyronie's disease. And I think the common thread you said over and over, Dr. Wong, is go get yourself checked early, guys, because early treatment is better than these chronic conditions. Did I catch that properly? Yeah, early is always better. And a lot of it, as far as the prostate is screening, is sometimes not even at a point where you have anything. So the earlier you can detect something, it is, it, the general rule is that you have more options available to you at your disposal. The later on in any disease process, the fewer options you have and potentially the lower likelihood of the desired outcome can be achieved. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, Dr. Wong. Thank you very much for all of your time today. Well, I certainly appreciate the opportunity. Once again, that was Dr. Carson Wong, a urologist with Memorial Health System. That wraps this episode of Memorial Health Radio with Memorial Health System Ohio. For more information about urological services, please visit mhsystem.org slash urology. Please rate and review this episode and check out the prior episodes of Memorial Health Radio in your favorite podcast listening app. I'm Evo Terra. Thanks for listening.